please and turn back to number 259 as we think about the love of God focusing on God's word the love of God the selections from 2nd Timothy 1st Peter uh, the book of Psalms Hebrews and I will be looking at this passage together reading it together uh, I'll read the portions in the regular print if you will join in unison on those portions in the bold print as we look at 259 the love of God God's word 259 as we begin to read God's word the Bible declares that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. You may be seated, but know God will bless the reading of His holy, inspired, and errant word.
me tell you a story this morning. Those words kind of perk you up, don't you, when somebody says that? I think most people enjoy a good story. That's why there are books that have sold in the millions. That's why there are television shows that are renewed season after season. That's why there are fairy tales that your parents told you and you've told your children and your children will probably tell your grandchildren. There's just something about a good story. And today we're beginning a new sermon series that centers upon some of the stories that Jesus told, uh, these things known as parables. We're going to tell uh, some of the stories, we're going to retell some of the stories that Jesus told, some of Jesus' stories, and we're going to tell one of them today. And we're calling this series, as you see, Pondering the Parables. Pondering the Parables. Now, we're not going to study uh, all of the parables Uh, But we are going to study some of the parables in detail together. And we're going to begin with the parable, what's been known as the parable of the sower. And so if you'd open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. Uh, It's also found in Matthew 13. It's also found in Mark chapter 4. We're going to focus primarily on Luke chapter 8 today. Luke chapter 8. And we'll begin reading there at verse number 1 and kind of set the stage. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass afterward that he, that is Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he uh, had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's uh, steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now look at verse 4 of Luke chapter 8. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Don't close it up. But before we read this parable, this story, let's stop and consider what we just read. The last couple of words that we read, it says he spoke... By a parable. And I thought since we're going to spend so much time over the coming weeks thinking about the parables and pondering the parables, it might be beneficial to all of us to cover some very basic things when it comes to a parable. And by the way, this is going to help you not only on Sunday mornings when you come and hear the sermon, it's going to help you as you're reading your Bible, as you're doing your own Bible study. When you come to a parable and you come to one of these stories to know some basic things about the parable. And I thought, well, three, three quick uh, questions we need to cover just to kind of set the stage this morning before we actually dive into the parable. What is a parable? Why did Jesus speak in parables? And what do we need to remember when studying parables? I think those are three basic things that would benefit all of us. And it benefited me as I dove back into the parables. Uh, These three basic questions. So first of all, let's ask and answer this question. What is a parable? What is a parable? Well, the most common definition that you'll hear, the one I remember even from probably growing up in church, and you may remember this one as well, a parable, maybe you were told this, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You've ever heard that before? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's good. And that's helpful to remember. And that's a good way of looking at it. But I want to get just a little bit... More technical. They don't let that scare you. Just just a little bit more technical. Our English word parable is a transliteration of a Greek word. And the Greek word is pronounced 
Parabole. Parabole. Let's all say that together. You ready? Parabole. Now you can go out and tell your friends you spoke in tongues in church. Well, no, don't do that. Uh, but you spoke a Greek word in church. Parabole. And it simply means to place beside or to cast alongside. That's what it means. To place beside or cast alongside. A parable is a story, beloved, that places one thing beside another for the purpose of teaching you spiritual truth. And so you take something that you know about and you put along something maybe you don't know about. And it helps you learn what you don't know about. So in today's story, we're going to take something that we know about, sowing seed, something you know about, and put alongside it a spiritual truth. And that's what a parable is. It's placing alongside, to cast alongside a story that takes one thing, place it beside another so you understand better the thing that you don't quite know yet. That's what a parable is. Now, we know what a parable is. It's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's, it's putting beside something that you're real familiar with, with something maybe you're not, so you can learn this new spiritual truth or, or be helped in learning it. But the second question is very important. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Now, he's the master communicator. He's the master teacher. He's the master preacher. Uh, he's the greatest preacher ever. Why did he choose to use parables? Well, you might be encouraged to know that we're not the first one to ask that question. In fact, you may remember if you've studied through the Gospels, the disciples actually asked Jesus that very question themselves. You can put your finger there and turn back or you can just listen. But if you go back to Matthew 13, verse 10, and I'm going to read some more scriptures from Matthew 13. So you can listen or turn back to Matthew 13, but don't lose your place in Luke 8. We're coming back. But in Matthew 13, 10, here's what the Bible says. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? That's Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. And then he goes on to answer them, beginning in verse 11. Now, when you first read this at first hear it, you might be scratching your head. But we're going to walk through it together. So just be patient as we walk through it. But look at what he answers. They just, they just ask him in verse 10 of Matthew 13. Why do you teach? Why do you speak to them in parables? Look at what he says in verse 11. Or listen. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you. He's talking to the disciples. It's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now I'm at verse 13 of Matthew 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Jesus is speaking here. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah. So Jesus reaches back all the way into the Old Testament. Isaiah is fulfilled, which said, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they close, lest they should watch this, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, we're going to unpack that for a moment, but go back to Luke where we are today. And I want you to read what he says in Luke. 
because they ask him in Luke, what does the parable mean? And he says something very similar to what we just read in Matthew. You're back in Luke now, chapter eight, right? Look at verse nine. Luke 8, 9. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? Now, notice verse 10. See if it doesn't sound familiar. Verse 10. And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, you read all that and and you maybe think back. I'm not sure I understand. What does he mean here? Why in the world would Jesus not want some people to understand what he's saying? Why would that be? Why would it be the case that some are not going to understand? John MacArthur has a wonderful book out on the parables. It's simply called The Parables. Listen to what he wrote. It helps us. He can say it much more succinctly and clearly than I can. Jesus's parables had a twofold purpose. So there's two purposes behind them. Number one, they hid the truth from self-righteous, self-satisfied people who fancy themselves too sophisticated to learn from him. And so one of the reasons he spoke in parables is because there were those who were too fancy and too, too highfalutin to learn from this teacher, this person named Jesus. But there was a second purpose. The second purpose, twofold, remember, the same parables that they didn't understand revealed truth to those who were eager to hear the Lord. And with childlike faith, they were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In fact, he says, listen, it was a divine judgment against those who met his teaching with scorn and unbelief and apathy. But listen, listen. You say, well, why in the world? I mean, wouldn't it be judgment enough for them not to understand and be lost and go to hell? I mean, why would he have a judgment in that parable itself? Well, listen, it was judgment mixed with mercy. You know why? Because the more they heard Christ, the more they were accountable for. The more truth they received, the more truth they were accountable for. He said, the more they hardened their hearts against the truth, the more severe their judgment would be. Why? Because the Bible says in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, what? Much will be required. And so Jesus, by concealing all these spiritual lessons, by these stories and these symbols and these parables, Jesus was keeping these people that were hard hearted and against him and not believing. He was keeping them from piling guilt upon guilt upon guilt upon guilt. They'd be accountable for because to him much is given, much is required. And so he spoke in parables. Someone else said this. The Lord Jesus understood that truth is not sweet music to all ears. Have you learned that yet? Truth is not sweet music to all ears. And so you can stand up and you can say the truth, the word of God. And you'll have many praise the Lord say, amen, that's right. And you'll have many say, I can't stand him. I can't stand her. How dare they speak that way? Why? Because they're speaking the truth. And so a parable, as this person said, is a blessing to those with willing ears, but to dull hearts and hardened hearts. A parable was an instrument not only of judgment, but also of mercy. You got it? That's a lot to take in. And we're just setting the stage now. We haven't even got to the parable. There's a third question. Two basic questions. What is the parable? We've got it. It's an earthly story, the heavenly meaning, setting alongside two things you can understand. 
Why did Jesus speak in parables? It was a twofold purpose to bless those who were eager and willing with the wonderful truth. And also there was a mixture of judgment and mercy with those who were too good to hear Jesus, if you will. Then thirdly, what do we need to remember when studying parables? Because the scriptures are filled with parables in the Gospels. So what do we need to remember when studying parables? This deals with the idea of interpretation. How do you study a parable? How do you understand a, a parable? How do you interpret a parable? How do you look at it? Because it's a story Jesus told. How do we go about it? Well, there are three main things I want to share with you real quickly about studying parables. And then we're going to jump in both feet. If you're still awake and alive today, and I am too, we're going to jump in both feet and look at this particular parable. But there are three principles I want to give you in studying parables. This applies for this parable, all the parables you read there in the Gospels. First of all, observe the immediate context. Observe the immediate context. In other words, look at what's going on around the time when Jesus was sharing it. What's going on in the scripture? That's good interpretation principles for all scripture. The context where the scripture lives. You'll find that parables often address a problem or a question. They often address a problem or a question. So you want to look at what is Jesus talking about? What is he answering? What's the issue? Why is he saying this? So observe the immediate context. Secondly, here's an important one. Study to find the main point. Study to find the main point. In other words, don't get sidetracked. There are those who try to read too much into the parables. There are those who allegorize and they find a meaning for everything. You know, the, the five, the five, uh, this and it represents this and that represents this and this represents that. There's usually a main point that Jesus is getting at. And we're going to see the main point in the parable today. And here's a very important one. And we're almost done with this. You want to move from the known to the unknown. Because a parable is what? It's casting alongside, it's setting alongside something known Besides something you need to know and using the known to help you understand what you need to know. And so it's using something earthly to teach you something heavenly or spiritually. So you want to move from the known to the unknown. And so today we're going to study about the soil and about the sower and about the seed. And the good news is, is we're out in the country, so we don't have to stretch very much to understand this story. Now, if we were in the city, we might have to bring some seed. We might have to haul in some dirt. I don't know. But here we can move from the known to the unknown. Okay, you got the basics? Everybody's awake, alive, alert, ready to go. We're going to dive into the parable, the proper parable here in Luke chapter 8. So we're going to pick up the story again, verse 4, Luke 8. And when a great multitude had gathered. So let's get the context. Great multitude of people. We've been studying on Wednesday nights, the gospel of Mark. And we talked about this past week. About the crowds that gathered. And we're going to see now you've got a great multitude of people. Now notice what Jesus said. Now what do many people do when the great crowds gather? They want to, let's get more, let's keep the crowd. And notice what Jesus says. That it says they had come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. So here's the story. Let me tell you a story. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. You look at the other passages, there's, I think it was some 30, some 60. Here's a hundredfold. 
When he had said these things, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a pretty straightforward story, isn't it? A man is out sowing seed. Now, listen, you've got to get back in their culture. He's not on this John Deere tractor. I'm sowing seed. No, he's out sowing seed. He's out casting seed. He's out by hand throwing out the seed. Some of you remember throwing out seed. Um, You know what I'm talking about. Take seed in your hand. No tractors involved. None of that. And he's scattering seed. And as he scatters the seed, it falls in different areas. Some falls by the wayside, the walking trail, the path, the road. Some falls in rocky soil. Uh, some falls in soil that has thorns. And then we have some falling on good ground. That's what happened when you go out and you, you sow seed. It falls on all types of soil and ground. And there are different um, results depending on where the seed landed. Now, this is one of the parables we're really blessed by this parable. Why? Because Jesus interpreted the parable. He told us the meaning. He doesn't do that with all the parables. This is one of the ones where he actually told us and explains what it means. And so we're told, if you drop down to verse 11, that the seed is the word of God. Look at verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And so that means if the seed is the word of God, that means then the one who is the sower is the one who is sharing the word of God, the one who's planting the word of God. Fits in nicely with the Gideons. You have the seed, the word of God, and you have those going out sowing the seed. And so if you share the word of God by personal testimony, Sunday school lesson, uh, you're talking to a friend, you're preaching, you're teaching, whatever. If you're sharing the word of God, you would also be one that was sowing the word of God. So the seeds, the word of God, the sowers, the one sharing the word of God. And then in this instance, of course, we're talking specifically about Jesus. Jesus is the one sowing the word of God. He is the word sharing the word. But this applies to all those who are sowing the word. And then you have the soil. And the interesting thing is, in this particular parable, the focus is not really on the seed. And the focus is not on the one sowing. The focus of this parable is upon the soil. And there are four different types of soil mentioned in this story. And, beloved, this tells us a lot about how people respond to the word of God. Because the soil in the story is the different types of hearts or types of people Or lives receiving or not receiving the word of God. That's what the soil is. It represents those who are hearing or not hearing the word of God. And so the way that passage is set up here, you have Jesus sharing the parable. They say, what does it mean? And he tells them what it means. Now, we've read the parable. Now, I want to go in further the passage and put the explanation with the story and take the earthly Put it with the spiritual lesson. We're going to work from the known to the unknown. We're going to put the verses in their partnerships. OK, and so let's see what we can learn together about these four types of soil. I think it'll be helping me go ahead and tell you this. Out of these four types of soils or hearts or types of people, only one of them are truly born again. You have four different types, but only one of them is truly born again. Well, the first type of soil that's mentioned Uh, would remind us of those who have hard hearts. They have hard hearts. Look back at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured. Let's get its partner verse, verse 12. Those by the wayside are those, or the ones, excuse me, who hear. Then the devil comes 
and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The wayside would be the walking trail or the path or the roadway that would be by the field where the man was out sowing. And, you know, if you walk on ground enough, what happens? It gets hard. It gets packed down. And so, therefore, if you throw seed on that, it cannot penetrate through the hardened walkway. And so what happens is that you throw the seed over there and birds are pretty smart little things, aren't they? There's some seed. You know, it may get trampled beforehand or whatever, but they make sure that all that seed is taken care of. Now, the wayside represents the hard hearts of people. Now, by the way, let me just ask you a question. How do we know the soil represents the heart here? Did you read verse 12 carefully? It says the devil comes and takes away the word out of their what? Their hearts. So we're not talking about literal soil here. That's the earthly part of the story. Jesus using the soil to represent the hearts or lives of people. And here you have hard hearts. And the way the wayside represents these hard hearts. And the problem is not with the sower. And it's not with the seed. The problems with the soil, the hardened heart. So here's the question. What is it that hardens hearts? Well, sin, of course, hardens heart. But but likewise, rejection of the truth, rejection of the gospel over and over and over again can harden someone's heart. I think maybe some of the hardest people to reach with the gospel are those who have sat in church for years and years and years. And they've heard hundreds or thousands of Bible lessons and hundreds and Thousands of sermons, and yet every time God spoke to their heart by the Holy Spirit, they said, not today, not, not today, not today. And they hardened their heart, and they hardened their heart, and they hardened their heart, and they're exposed to it. But they hardened their heart. Of course, there are those who are totally antagonistic against the gospel with hard hearts. But this type of person is exposed to the gospel and it doesn't penetrate their heart. So it's very easy for the devil to come along and snatch that word out of their heart. Now, why does he do this? Why does the devil, as it says, snatch it away? Well, it tells us in the passage of verse 12. The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Why? Lest they should believe. And be saved. Can I just share with you this morning? The devil does not want you to be saved. The devil doesn't want anyone to be saved. His desire is for you to stay condemned and lost and and basically spend eternity in a horrible place called hell. By the way, that's where he's going to be as well. The devil doesn't want you to be saved, but God does. The Bible declares clearly that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God's desire is people might hear the gospel and be saved. And the good news is, beloved, is you can't change your heart. I can't change my heart. But guess what? God can. And God does. God can plow up a hardened heart. Think about the think about Saul in, in the Bible. We know him better as the Apostle Paul. And here's a man who stood there consenting to the death of believers, consenting to persecution. And God plowed up his hard heart. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Lord. And he's gloriously saved. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not saved, may I say to you, friend, God can plow up your heart and he will respond to him today as he works in your life. Hear me, O lost one, cry out to the Lord today that he break your heart. 
Open your heart and let the glorious gospel shine into your life. But when you sow seeds, some of the seeds going to fall on hard hearts. Well, there's a second type of heart, and I'm calling it the shallow heart. Look at verse 6. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Here's its partner verse, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while in time of temptation fall away. You know, if you're out sowing by hand, say you plowed up some dirt and you're just out scattering seed. You can't see, you know, you don't have x-ray vision. You can't see all that's underneath. And soil can have a rock layer. It may look like wonderful soil. And you put that and, and, a, and a plant can spring up very quickly. But what can happen is if there's a rock layer there and that plant can't put down deep roots. I mean, it gets to a point and it can't get moisture and the sun begins to come out. What will happen to that plant eventually without that moisture? It's going to wither and die. And that's what we have a picture of here. Uh, we call this the shallow heart. Why? They receive the word with joy, it says in verse 13. Uh, but as soon as difficulty comes, they fall away. Uh, who are these people? Well, these are the type of people that would have an emotional response to the gospel. They would be emotionally uh, responding. And so they hear the gospel and maybe they get convicted or they get excited or whatever. And they have an emotional response. But they don't have true belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no roots. They're not truly born again. And what happens is they have this emotional response. And man, oh, I feel so good about this. And oh, I'm so happy. And then trouble comes into their life. And because they're not truly born again, they don't have deep, deep roots. Then they follow it. Now, don't get confused. Any person that truly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have eternal life. Nothing can change that. They have eternal life. But only those who are true believers. But you, you have to be more than just a professor of faith in Christ. You have to be a possessor of it. And so there are those who say, oh, yes, I'm born again. I want to respond today to the gospel. And yet sometimes it's just an emotional response. I've seen this in my own ministry. People who come joyously. And they're here for a week or two, it seems like. And then they fall away. Trouble comes. Temptation comes. Trials. You say, what's the problem? Is the gospel faulty? Is the seed faulty? Absolutely not. The problem's the soil. It was shallow. It was an emotional response. They were not truly born again. We've got to hurry. Thirdly, there are distracted hearts. I hope there are none of those in here this morning. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. So they, the thorns and the seed grew together. Verse 14 is its partner verse. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You know, if you're out plowing, if you plow up a place and you go out planting you can't see, again, you don't have x-ray vision. You can't see that there are still seeds and remnants of thorns and, and weeds and all that garbage in the soil. And so you sow your good seed. And what happens is they spring up together. Does anybody go out and plant weeds, by the way? We don't have to do that, right? And so there are those that you, you, you sow the seed and then the weeds, the thorns come up and it says it chokes them. And so these are the ones who they hear the word, but it does not penetrate fully. It, it's a mixture. Uh, it's mixed with these thorns. And Jesus says the thorns are what? They're the cares, riches and pleasures of life. 
In other words, these type of people, they hear the word, but in all honesty, they care more about this world than they do the next one. They care more about the good things they can have in the here and now than they do about the good things waiting in the then and there. Uh, They're worldly. They're distracted. They have no time to give true attention to the word of God and the gospel. And and, and they want to live life and their desire is here. And their mind and their heart are so filled with so many other things, they can't think about the most important thing. I think about people that come to church and and go to religious meetings all the time. And really, that's what they they come and they sit. And the whole time the word of God's being proclaimed, they're thinking about their their 401k. And they're thinking about what they've got to do at work this week. And they're thinking about what they want to do this afternoon. They're thinking about what they want, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. They're thinking about getting to the lake. And they're thinking, I hope I can beat that other church to the restaurant. And their whole life. It's all focused upon the cares and pleasure of this life. And beloved, they're distracted. And the sad thing is that millions of people are going to be distracted right into the very depths of hell. Because they hear the word, but it's mixed and it doesn't take root. But remember, God can change any heart because we come to the fourth type of soil. And I call those the receptive hearts. Verse eight. But others fell on good ground. Sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Verse 15 is partner verse. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, notice that this last type of soil or person is the one who receives the word of God, the gospel. But they not only physically hear it, they hear it with their heart. They keep it, they obey it, they respond to it, and they end up bearing fruit. And what do we know? The Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. In fact, we studied just uh, earlier this month in our Sunday school adult classes, John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And a true believer is going to bear fruit in their life. And there are different types of fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. There's the fruit of righteousness, Philippians 1. There's the fruit of worship, our lips praising Him, Hebrews 13. There's the fruit of souls that you win to the Lord Jesus. There's various types of fruit. But in other words, your life is going to be fruitful because God the Holy Spirit's working in your life to bring about a change in you to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we have here is we have good ground, a good heart... And by the way, a heart doesn't become good on its own. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Only by the grace of God are our hearts changed. And we're given, we go from a stony heart to a heart of flesh. But God does that. But here we have someone who receives the word of God, receives the gospel, and they experience new birth and they bear out fruit in their life. And beloved... We have to have the working of the Holy Spirit for this to happen. This is not a natural thing. This is a supernatural thing. And by the way, can I just say to you, because I'm speaking to a lot of believers today. You say, well, I've already responded to the gospel. I've had a receptive heart. I've been born again and I, I rejoice with you. But do you realize that we still have to be careful how we hear the word of God? We still have to be careful. Now, I call this series Pondering the Parables. And so I want to leave you with three or four things to ponder, to take with you and mull over and think about three or four things to take with you today. 
First of all, I think one of the important things that we need to think about is this. We need to be careful how we hear the word of God. Although this speaks initially to new birth and salvation, I believe this parable. I think some of these things, same things would hold true after a person is saved. We can come in and we could be hardening our heart. The Holy Spirit's working our life. There's sin in our life. And we kind of say, well, I'm not going to write about it today. And God loves us. He won't leave us on our own. He doesn't let a, a saint sin successfully. He works on our heart. He'll bring about discipline if necessary. But we kind of say, no, no, no. We need to be careful and say, listen, God, you put your finger on this. I confess it. First John 1, 9. I get rid of it. We can come in today. We can have shallow hearts. We're just not into it. We had a busy week. Or whatever. This is God's word going forth, beloved. We need to pay attention. This is God's word we're talking about. We can have distracted hearts. You know, I'm, I'm more concerned about what's going on or what's going to happen than I am focusing upon the word of God. But what we need is what? Receptive heart to say, Spirit of God, speak to my heart. Think about little Samuel. Hey, did you call me? No. Did you call me? No. Next time you hear the voice say, Speak, Lord, for your servants listening. That should be our attitude every time we sit under the word of God. We open our Bibles in the morning to do our devotions. When we go to bed at night, any time we're exposed to the Bible, be careful and realize this is the word of God. And we need to be careful how we hear it. Secondly, this should encourage us as sowers of the word of God. I know it does me. Many times. Weekly, many times, a couple times a week. You can stand and you can proclaim the word of God and there are different responses. And we see that is the case. And that was the case even with Jesus. Not every heart is going to receive the word of God. But you see, my responsibility, your responsibility is to obey the Lord and faithfully sow the seed and trust God to do the work. But it's an encouragement today. It's an encouragement to know that uh, there are different types of soil. Thirdly, it kind of ties in with that. We should pray for and be broken hearted over those who fail to properly receive the word of God. To realize that there are those that harden their hearts and really don't care. And they're not receptive. We should pray for those folks. Why? Because God can break their heart. God can open their heart. And we should be broken hearted and compassionate over those who would hear the gospel. And then I think there's a fourth point to ponder and we're done. We should rejoice and be grateful. Watch this next part. That God can and does plow up hearts so they can receive the word of God. You know, every time someone gets saved, the Bible talks about the angels rejoice in heaven. I hope the saints rejoice on earth, too. Hey, a sinner has come home to be saved. That's a work of God. He took a a dead heart, a a stony heart, a shallow heart, a distracted heart. He took a heart that was not open to the word of God and he plowed it up and allowed the seed to be planted and watered and spring forth. And so as we ponder this today, I leave with one final question and it's this. Where are you in the story? What type of soil are you? Are you receptive to the word of God today? Is your heart hardened? Is it shallow? Or is it distracted? Where are you in this story? What type of soil are you? Father, I rejoice in you today. 
Father, I thank you for this parable that Jesus told. How it opens our eyes and helps us to understand how people respond or, or, or a lack of response to your word. Lord, you've called us to be faithful sowers of the seed of the word of God. I pray that you'll help us to be. But Lord, this morning we're all looking at ourselves as soil. What type of soil are we? I realize, Lord, that there may be some here today who've never experienced new birth in Christ. And Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit to do that work which only you can do. Convict their heart and bring them to saving faith in Christ today. And then for those of us who already know Christ as Lord and Savior, would you speak to our heart today? And examine our heart and help us to see just how truly receptive to the word of God. Who's going to be the true authority in our life? Who are we really going to obey and serve? Us or you? And I pray that even as we have our invitation hymn, that you would bring believers to this altar to do business with you for your honor and your glory and for their good. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, as you kind of caught, there is a bit of a theme, is there not, as we have worshipped together talking about the word of God. And we want to sing in closing 261 wonderful words of life. And the invitation is very simple. You need to be saved today. As we're singing this song, we would invite you to come. I'll be down at the front. I'd love to share Christ with you or put you as someone who will and lead you to the cross. And then for those of you, maybe God is speaking to your heart. You're already a child of God and you want to come and pray today. Maybe God has spoken to you. You come as we sing, as the altar is open. You do business. You do what God leads you to do. But we're going to sing 261, Wonderful Words of Life. Let's stand together and sing 261.